Happy Friday, everyone. On today's show, we're going to commemorate the Summit Series 50th anniversary. We're going to look at a potential increase to the NHL salary cap, address some key milestones that could be reached this season, plus the NHL is everywhere over the next week. All that and more on today's Locked On NHL. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Friday edition of Locked On NHL. It's September 30th already. I am Rachel Donner from Locked On Flyers. I'm on Twitter at our Miriam. I'm here as always every Friday with Gil Martin of Locked On Islanders. You can find him on Twitter at Ice Wars NYRVSNYI. Thanks for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. We're free and available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Plus, you can watch us over on YouTube, so subscribe there as well. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Gil, how are we doing this Friday? We are good. Uh, we have hockey back for a week now, so that's been fun. Uh, and, you know, we're getting so much closer to the regular season, you could almost taste it. You can. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm a little rusty getting back into the routine, staying up a little later. Uh, I've been enjoying complaining about where these random preseason games are being broadcast and can I stream it and where is it? Uh, it's that old preseason feeling back once again. It is. But you know, on, on the flip side of that, you have that cool, crisp air coming in now. Fall is here. It feels. I am like wearing a hoodie, Gil. I am. It, I am it very happy. Time. It really does. I'm ready. Put me in, Coach. I'm ready. I am ready too. Uh, we're gonna turn back the clock a little bit to start off with, and the Summit Series in 1972 between Canada and the Soviet Union was just a huge thing for all of Canada and all of hockey, for that matter. Uh, just, just a big deal. And for Canada to uh, come back in that eighth game of the series to win it for Canada was just a tremendous thing that was celebrated throughout the country. And uh, Gil, you are a big fan of this series and, and revisit it often. What does it mean for you as a non-Canadian, but as a student of the game? You know, it, this was sort of a, a turning point in the history of the game. And if you watch any of the games of this series, and there they are, there are a lot of documentaries out there on YouTube, and and all eight games are available on on DVD. But if you watch these games, the way the Canadians played, very skate up and down your wing, dump the puck in, chase it. Uh, sort of an old-fashioned way of playing hockey and the soviets played a very different kind of a game they would weave in and out they would pass the puck back they would try to maintain possession of the puck the style the contrast in styles between these two 
countries and these two teams and the way they played the game uh, is very, very apparent. And sort of after this series was over, that started to change gradually over time in the NHL and, and throughout the hockey world where within 10 years of this series, you know, NHL teams weren't playing the same kind of style. And it was a big shock, I think, to hockey fans and the hockey establishment in Canada that this series was as close as it was because everyone was expecting Canada to just trounce the Soviets. And boy, they, they found out very quickly that the Russians knew how to play the game of hockey. Yeah, I think for me, obviously, as a person from Flyers land, the biggest note to come out of it was the infamous slash that Bobby Clark uh, laid on Valerie Karlamov in game six of that series. And he got a lot of criticism for it. It, it was pretty blatant, got to say, but the game was different then, too. And I think that you know, as much as I think of Bobby Clark more as a flyer than somebody from Team Canada, he's absolutely, you know, a huge part of the history of, of Canada's hockey program. And, you know, he is well known and he's either loved or hated for that play, depending on, on who you are. But that's kind of my perspective on it. No doubt. And obviously, you know, the dramatic game winning goal by Henderson to to win the eighth and deciding game for Canada, a magic moment that if you were uh, alive then and a hockey fan, then you still remember where you were at that moment. And so many Hall of Famers, so many great players on uh, both teams, but particularly from a Team Canada perspective, Ken Dryden, Tony Esposito, Jerry Cheevers, uh, you know, just just so many great players up and down. Phil Esposito with his famous speech that he made. Uh, Yvonne Cornwayer, uh, Brad Park. So many Hall of Famers that took part in this. Frank Mahovlich. It, it, it just was a who's who of the hockey world at that point. Only Bobby Orr was missing because his knees wouldn't cooperate at that point. But so many great players from that era taking part. And it was also really the first extended look that North American fans had at, at Trediak, the, the great goalie from the mm -hmm. Soviet Union. So uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of uh, culture shock and a lot of different subplots to the, the various stories that took place. You know, the Canadian players thinking that they're Hotel rooms were bugged during the, the last four games in the Soviet Union. Uh, the fact that the Canadian team was starting off the, the, the series not being in shape and sort of playing themselves into shape while the Soviets were in, you know, constantly practicing all year round and in midseason form. There was a lot of drama, a lot of unknowns and, and just a, a magic moment for uh Canada, and yet it was also a moment where the way that the game was looked at throughout North America was never going to be the same once this series was over. Yeah, plus the backdrop of, of the Cold War. It yeah. just kind of loomed over everything. So definitely uh, seek out any documentaries you can on it, like Gil said, if you're not as familiar with it, because it really is a fascinating piece of, of hockey history to take a look at. 
I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some news that broke earlier this week via Elliot Friedman that there is talk about potential salary cap increases in the NHL and that they have recovered a little bit faster from the COVID uh, break and the empty arenas than they thought they might. And so the cap could be going up pretty significantly, um, maybe not next year, but the following years for sure. So this year we got the raise up to 82.5 million. It'll probably go up another million for next season, but then it could jump up anywhere, you know, from another 4 million to four and a half million. And then after that, I could jump up another two to 3 million, which would have huge implications for the cap, especially for some of these teams that are having to lock up long-term seven, eight-year deals for their franchise players. Um, you know, my first thought is the Toronto Maple Leafs and that looming Austin Matthews contract. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, you, you got some big names up there who are going to be free agents uh, in 2024. You, you mentioned Austin Matthews, Steven Stamkos, Sebastian Ajo, uh, just a lot of guys. And and having that extra cap room is is vital to all those general managers out there trying to put their teams together. And look, it's it's also better for the game and better for the fans that the cap keeps going up and obviously better for the players as well. Exactly. And, you know, while it'll help some of the teams that are in a cap crunch, it helps everybody across the board. And so I think the only problem is going to be a couple of teams getting to whatever the new cap floor is. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that raises, you know, along with the cap ceiling uh, so that, uh, you know, who's going to be the now like 11 year old that will be the superstar that everybody's tanking for in 2026. Right. I don't know yet. I'm sure there's somebody in prospect land who does know what eight year old or 10 year old is skating around circles around everybody right now. But um, uh, that's always a part of it that people don't talk about uh, as much, but I care the teams make the cap floor. Yeah, no, and and you know, you, you talk about the cap floor. I hate to pile on, but you know, how is that going to affect the Coyotes playing in such a small arena, where you know they're still going to have to reach that floor, even though their income is going to be limited by the capacity of their home arena for the next few years. That is an excellent question, which we will see how that shows itself over the course of this season as they play at Arizona State. All right, we have some milestones that could be achieved this upcoming season, and we want to talk about do we think they will actually happen or not coming up next. But first, we're going to hear about our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. You could find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you could find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting, up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, and the playoffs are right around the corner, MMA, boxing and golf, and even preseason hockey. You can head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. 
All right. So on the score, we saw an article by Kayla Douglas, who was looking at seven milestones that she thought were attainable for this upcoming season. So we thought we would take a look at some of them as well and see if we think that they will be broken or those milestones will be achieved. And the first one she brings up, which is a no-brainer for me, is Phil Kessel and the Ironman streak. And, you know, he's only eight games away. And after all the drama with Keith Yandel last season to have it uh, get broken so quickly. Now, you know, he's playing for Vegas this year. Obviously, stranger things have happened, but it seems like the most likely thing to occur. Yeah, eight games. So if everything goes well, it would be October 25th against San Jose. I, I, I think this is not a slam dunk certainty, but it's a pretty safe uh, likelihood that Phil Kessel takes over the Ironman streak. And and this is one of those records I always respect because it is very hard to be out there game after game between COVID and injuries and fatigue and even, you know, for a lot of players now, the birth of a, of a child or there are so many reasons you could miss a game or two and to, to play almost a thousand games without missing any of them. You, you know, you're playing hurt in some of them. I give a lot of credit to guys like Phil Kessel and, and Keith Yandel and, and Doug Jarvis, who have held this record. And, and it's, it's really an accomplishment. It really is. Uh, it could be a hindrance to your team. It could be. But it's, it's still a, a, a good individual accomplishment for, for sure. Uh, the next one she brings up is, of course, the two inextricably linked guys, Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. They're both approaching the 1,500-point milestone, which is Wow. It it just seems like, how is it that these guys are this far into their careers already? It makes me feel old. Uh, Right now, Crosby has 1409 points. So he's 91 points away. And that, I, I think that's possible. I don't know if he'll stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the question with Sidney Crosby. I think that is the biggest question. He has missed a lot of time over his career with a number of assorted injuries. Look, I, as a hockey fan, I want to see Sidney Crosby on the ice. And if he stays healthy for 82 games, I think it's realistic that he could get 91 points in those 82 games. I tend to think he'll probably play somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 to 70, maybe 72 games. He Mm -hmm. may have to wait until next year if that happens. Right. Now, Ovi is one point ahead of him, so he's got 90 points to go. Again, I think health, especially the way last season wound up, I think that could be an issue for him as well. But with the fact that they're so close to each other and they could be racing kind of side by side to see, you know, do you have a prediction as to who might make this milestone first? 
I would go with Ovechkin over Crosby just because I think he's more likely to play more games. So, but the the beautiful thing is that the rivalry between the two of them will inspire both of them to play their best hockey. I think they will too. And I think, you know, both the Caps and the Pens could be at the tail end of their windows to win, right? So they have extra incentive this season as well. So that will be something to follow. Uh, Ovechkin uh, could also reach the top two on the all-time goals list. Yeah, and that's a big one because he'd be <clears throat> catching Gordie Howe. He only needs 22 goals. I would have to say that if he even plays 60 games this year, maybe even 50, he will reach that milestone. So uh, it, it's a big deal. Gordie Howe, uh, for his generation, was considered the greatest hockey player ever to lace him up and his longevity and his accomplishments over the course of his career off the charts. Uh, I, I think Ovi gets this one. The question is just, you know, at what point during the season uh, does he overpass it? I, I could see it happening sometime around the All-Star break. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially if he gets a lot of power play time, as he is wont to do, they put him out there a lot in his spot for the power play. I think that'll give him more chances. Um, and and I think, yeah, I, I could see the all-star break being about when he might hit that milestone. Um, there are some guys that are approaching the thousand point and uh, barrier, and that is Patrice Bergeron and Steven Samkos, and uh, again, Kessel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and uh, again, you always talk about health, but Bergeron needs 18 points. That's, you know, that's a, a mark he should get, I would say, sometime before uh, American Thanksgiving if if he stays healthy and plays uh, every game. And Stamkos needs 28 points. Maybe the same timing, I think, you know, Stamkos probably be a little bit more productive than Bergeron early on this season. But I, I could see both of them definitely reaching that mark. Kessel needs 44 points. He should get it, but I think it'll be maybe after the All-Star break that he reaches that milestone. Yeah, that's the the question mark for me, especially, I don't know how much, you know, especially after he reaches that Ironman streak, is he going to run into the same problem that Keith Yandel did? And is he going to get sat? Are they going to let him play out the season? So, uh, you know, depending on how he's doing and how Vegas is doing, Vegas is in a very tenuous situation. So I see uh, Kessel's mark in terms of points being the most at risk of those three. Absolutely. He's going to have to earn his playing time. There's no question about that because Vegas isn't mm -hmm. in the uh, a place where they have the luxury of just saying, oh, yeah, let's just put him out there so he can get the record. Right. Now, Stamkos could also reach the 500 goal mark in his career, which, again, I, I think is completely possible. He only needs 19 more. And I, I think especially the way he played this past season, as long as he's healthy, I think he can do it. Yeah, I think so, too. Health is obviously a big thing. <clears throat> and Stamkos has had issues with that in the past. But, you know, to get 19 goals, if he's healthy, I think sometime around 
uh, the end of December is, is probably when we see them get to that point. Yeah. The last one we're going to talk about today is the goaltending side of things with Marc-Andre Fleury. And he could get to number two on the all-time wins list. He needs 32 of them, which, again, I, I think it's a little dicey. He does have to stay healthy. And, you know, with the Minnesota Wild, if Gustafson, you know, winds up being a hot goalie, the wild are, are not shy about riding a hot goaltender. And if they feel like they have to sit flower a little bit more in order to get the wins, they're going to do it. And so, you know, for me, it's, is he going to get enough starts with that Minnesota wild team in front of him to get 32? Yeah. I, I think he may have to wait till next season to get that 32 wins is a lot. He would probably have to start, at least 55 games, I think, to reach that milestone. At minimum. At minimum. Yeah. And, and I don't know if he's going to get that many starts. But look, one thing I've learned is never doubt Mark andre Fleury. He finds a way to get things done. And 520 career wins is, is pretty impressive. And anytime you're talking about catching Patrick Waugh as you know the second all-time wins leader, that's an impressive place to be. It absolutely is. All right. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to talk about this weekend's preseason action and talk about the NHL being all over the place. So this weekend starts off pretty typically in the NHL preseason action. You know, we've got some division rivalries with Calgary versus Edmonton on Friday. Rangers versus Devils. Okay. But then this is when we start seeing some of these preseason games that the NHL holds in alternate arenas in different cities. And I love this part of the preseason because audiences in different cities who don't usually get to see NHL players live and in person get a chance to see them play in their towns, in their home rinks. And you know, while it's still a preseason game, I think the players like step it up a little bit just to give these fans, again, who don't often get an opportunity to see NHL games in person, you know, give them the best show possible. Yeah, and it's promoting the game and, and bringing NHL level hockey to new locations. It's different. It's fun. It's great for the fans. Some of these players, you know, may be returning to their hometowns, which may not be big enough to host regular season NHL games, but there's something special about a different venue. It makes me think back a little bit also to uh, the early to mid 90s when the NHL played, every team played two neutral site games. Uh, they stopped doing that, but it's, it's the same kind of an idea, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, I like the idea of more neutral site games. And I understand it's hard because of ticket revenues and, you know, you don't want to give up on that. And so it's a business, I understand. But at the same time, I love it when we get to see interesting camera angles and just how close up the fans get to the action here. And, you know, I've attended some of these sorts of events before and they're so much fun. So uh, you know, Leafs playing Ottawa in Belleville, Ontario on Friday, then Saturday, 
Dallas playing the St. Louis Blues in Independence, Missouri, which, you know, NHL hockey in Independence, Missouri, love that so yep. much. Sunday, we have Minnesota versus Chicago in Milwaukee. And, you know, Wisconsin getting NHL talent to play in there. Their college program at University of Wisconsin is phenomenal. But to get, you know, some of the pros to come play in Milwaukee as well, uh, love to see that for them. Yeah, me too. I've always wondered why Milwaukee never really was given an NHL team or a chance for an NHL team. If there's more expansion, I wouldn't mind seeing it if they have a, a good arena that would fit it. I mean, the rivalry with Minnesota and with Chicago and Detroit, it, it's a natural geographic rivalry. You have the weather for it, uh, a great tradition of minor league hockey. So yeah, this will be fun. It will be. And then, you know, we're going to go straight into the global series early next week where Nashville oh, is going to be in Switzerland uh, playing Bern on Monday. We've got San Jose who are going to be in Berlin uh, Tuesday, which is phenomenal. I love those games. Uh, even when the Flyers got embarrassed in, in theirs. I yeah. think it was it was a lot of fun, but yeah, love, love, love the global series. Oh, it's it's great. It's great for the league, more exposure overseas, get the fans uh, in this case in Europe to to get more exposure to the NHL game. And, you know, it's also in a different way for the teams that do it, a great team building exercise to go overseas, to have a different language, a different culture. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to bond with a very different kind of a road trip in the preseason. It does. And uh, again, I remember when the Flyers were in Prague and uh, Jake Voracek got to kind of show off his home country with the, with the Flyers there. So that was a lot of fun as well. Um, also on Wednesday, we've got Edmonton and Vancouver playing in Abbotsford in British Columbia. Then we, we're going also into our Craft Hockeyville games, which we've got two of them in Canada this year, just because they had to catch up from a COVID year where they didn't get to actually have it. So the Canadians and Senators are going to play in New Brunswick as well as in Gander, Newfoundland, which I am so excited for that one in Gander because, you know, of course, my personal connection to Gander is knowing the Broadway musical Come From Away, which is closing this Sunday. I'm so sad about it, but oh, that's, wow. Oh, wow. that's how I learned about Gander is, is through a Broadway musical. <laughs> so uh, they talk about the hockey rink in the show and how they uh, had people who were kind of stranded there from planes on September 11th. Yes. Uh, uh, using the hockey rink as kind of a center for, for the people. So uh, very cool to see that one. Yeah, and and again, I love the whole craft hockey, where you know, again, small towns across Canada get a chance to host NHL games. It's magic for the town. It's magic for hockey, and you know, it keeps the game close to its roots, which I always enjoy. Me too. And then we've got a couple of games out west in the states. Uh, Thursday, October sixth, the Kings are playing Vegas in Salt Lake City, where I used to live. So I've seen the NHL games that have 
played in Salt Lake City. It's so much fun. And it really is a good hockey town. Um, then they're going up to Boise on October 8th for Vegas versus the Yotes. Again, love Boise. It's a really cool town. Home of the Steelheads mm -hmm. in the ECHL. And I'm excited for them as well. It's going to be a fun, like, little over a week of games in, in different places. Looking forward to it. And then what? it's just another half a week till the regular season starts after that. So bring it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I am ready, too. Uh, that will do it for today's show. Of course, Gil will be back Monday with his show, talking to some of the hosts around Locked On NHL, checking in on the biggest stories for their teams. We'll both be back next Friday to recap the week that was, and we'll be looking ahead as well to the regular season, if you can believe it. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody.